Hi, and welcome to Is This Really for Kids? The show where I, your host, Thea Touchton, a fellow traumatized child, and whew, I'm going to need that experience today to go over this one, but I'll get to that. Anyway, I decide, is children's media really for children? Let's find out. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you about this series. Y'all, it's so good. It's so good. I read it as a book, and it's so fantastic to see it in my lifetime and I love film and television so much and I'm just so grateful to talk about it but anyway without further ado here it is today we are going to be talking about a series of unfortunate events not the movie not quite yet I'm trying to see if I can secure a guest for you guys because I feel like this is popular enough and I would love to hear somebody's opinion on it but it might just not be in the timing, and I have lots of opinions on the series, and I feel qualified because I've read all 13 of the books and the unauthorized biography. Didn't read, I think there's like some prequels. I couldn't really understand that, but I am starting with the series, which is pretty backwards because usually I try to start with the original movie media piece first, but you know, I felt like I at least had to do the series by myself because on this podcast yet, I haven't seen how it works. I've only reviewed television series when there's only been one season. So I've got to see how many seasons can I fit because literally the next thing that I'm going to review in season two of Mouthy the Podcast is all the high school shows. And that includes Gossip Girl and Glee. And there are a lot of seasons for those in case you didn't know. So we're talking about about the Netflix series of the series of unfortunate events. Lots of series in there. Neil Patrick Harris, I think, produced this and is the star as Count Olaf, which uh, we'll get on. We'll talk about his casting. We'll talk about it. And here we go. So speaking of casting, listen, I love Krunk. I, I have mad respect for Krunk as an actor. He has a brand and it is good. It is not Lemony Snicket for me. And I know people... Don't always like the movie, but I like kind of the Jude Law, you know, Britishy, lemony snicket that's like quiet and artistic. I think Krunk is a bit too loud. Sorry, I'm calling him Krunk. I'm blanking on his name and he is Krunk forever in my heart. Also, Krunk is so fun to say. I'm totally going to use it. But he's not serious enough for me to be lemony snicket and he takes me out of the world so much. I just can't. I don't believe that he's sad. I I wanted a a wispier Lemony as well and more of a beefy dad for the Bullard. Well, it doesn't even make sense because Klaus isn't very, they're all like pretty thin boned. So it makes sense that their dad is thin boned. And I get kind of maybe the argument of saying like, oh, Beatrice could have been with this like bulky hunk or the thin wispy intellectual guy. And she chose the intellectual guy over the romantic hunk but it's just too against his type for me and that sucks but that's like the curse of being an actor like if I didn't do something edgy people be like what she's not sweet and innocent I don't buy it that girl's a fake and I hate her you know not that I am near as big as crunk but I've got dreams I've got dreams to be I do love in the series that they do all the Beatrice poems that are in the beginning of the books. I love those Beatrice poems. And I honestly, I ship Lemony and Beatrice so hard. I ship it, I ship it to the stars, baby. I don't love Neil Patrick Harrison's voice. I feel like it's too, we've heard his voice so much as Barney and as Doogie Howser and as, you know, Neil Patrick Harrison's incredible career. 
We've just heard his voice so much that if his singing voice isn't changed with Count and Love, it doesn't feel like Count and Love. It feels like NPH, you know? So I didn't also like love their theme song that like look away. It's like kind of on the theme. I get it of like, oh, you know, put down this book and do better things. But I like the lyrics were fine. Musically, it wasn't, it needed something more, a little more that put it in the weird era that this exists in or in like a, I don't know, something, it needed something else musically. Like it needed, honestly, people are gonna hate this. I wanted more accordion. I need more accordion. I don't think it needed cowbell. Uh, it wasn't that kind of song, but like, and maybe some like sad violins. It just needed some like kind of more interesting instruments than it had. Also in this uh, series, we see Sonny the doll a lot because this is a baby and babies have certain union work hours, if you didn't know. I also though, I will say with respect for the story that I do love that gender roles are kind of broken in this universe. Like Violet is the engineer character. And I don't mind this Violet. She does a pretty decent job, but it's really hard. Like Emily Browning has such a special place in my heart. It's just, it's gonna be hard to for me to not think that her Violet was the best. I also, sorry, I like hate this casting. I understood what they were trying to do. It was like two big star names to get it in and it didn't, it didn't feel authentic to the world. It felt like who's gonna bring asses to seats, right? I don't like this Poe. He is too gay to be Poe for me. And I, and I don't mean that offensively. He's, and I mean like gay in the happy literal sense. He's so like sassy and cheery. He feels like he should be on pose with Ryan Murphy and would be great in a Ryan Murphy universe, but it is not Poe. Also Poe was a really hard one to be in the movie original casting, but it's just like, he seems too fake for a banker too. I always feel like two bankers are very serious people. And I liked in the universe of the series of Unfortunate Events, that all the evil villains are kind of the cheery ones and all of the good people are kind of the like somber ones because they are aware that evil is out there and the evil people are happy that it's succeeding. So then you have like Poe who's very cheery. It doesn't make sense, especially of being so ill that he's happy. I mean, I guess there are people who are like sick and like relatively positive and there is like that kind of person, but it made me just not buy his cough at all and it didn't make me buy him as a character i don't know if it was direction they just let this guy go with it i just didn't like it the fire that takes the library it just gets me every time because it just hurts to think of books being burned and all of those wasted trees for nothing but i will say that the other house fire in the movie was better and i cannot imagine having an actor empathy moment over here i can't imagine staring at the fire remains of your house like everybody goes through in california when we have like wildfire season losing all your stuff like that that is so horrible and i'm so sorry that you've ever had to deal with that please donate to my podcast and i will find a way to give that money back and do something with you guys so my thing is like in this you can't have any access to your their money until they're 18 which seems a little bit weird given the circumstances i guess it's like a fortune so they wanted to be responsible or probably try to protect them from the kind of evil schism that they knew that was happening in their secret society the bulgolaris parents but can kids who are on youtube do they have access to their money at under 18 is this what is this happening What's going on here? Mrs. Poe, however, is a really good casting. I really liked her. And then you kind of see their dynamics and I can kind of buy the fact that Poe is, is kind of more flamboyant 
once you see these kind of dynamics in the scenes of the Poe's house when they take the Baudelaire children in for the night. But I also, in terms not to like ruin your childhood, but would the banker have this much authority? Wouldn't it be a social worker? I guess it's like part of their secret society, but it is kind of interesting to think about. The person they cast for Justice Strauss is also very great. And then I love that they have this like little banter too. They're like, oh, the closest relative in proximity, like as in not the closest relative that your parents were closest to like relationship wise, the closest relative in distance. Which is like kind of makes sense for if parents were going to give their children, they might not want to like totally turn their life over. And it's like, I'm closest to your aunt, but she lives in, you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, total culture shock. And the differences between Justice Strauss House and Count Olofs is always, it always has my jaw dropping. And then Neil Patrick Harris as Count Olaf. Uh, I like Jim Carrey's better, but his like eagerly waiting to get his hands on the children is so creepy. Um, there's so much like, it's a lot of creep in this. If you are letting your children watch this, I definitely think you should have a conversation about the level of creepy adults. And, you know, it's good to talk about films and it's something that you can bond on and it's not just like how school, you know, that's why I made this podcast. And then I definitely noticed that Neil Patrick Harris doesn't seem like he listens. Like Jim Carrey's Olaf definitely listens sometimes. Neil Patrick Harris is Olaf seems like he's always just playing to camera like that he doesn't listen to any character at all but in fairness i would argue that that is olaf's character i also cannot believe that poe would just leave these children in evident squalor like that i have no idea how any adult could do that i feel like people are so nitpicky about cleanliness now and then olaf calls their mom flammable which is a great new way to say that somebody is hot by the way I also feel like Neil Patrick Harris is just such a nice, positive guy. That's like why we allowed him to be atrocious as Barney in How I Met Your Mother. I will be reviewing that on my YouTube channel, by the way. And he's just not scary enough as Olaf for me. I think you need that kind of intimidation that Jim Carrey has. He's also not tall enough for me. Um, sorry to the shorties. I'm like a middle ground. I'm like not tall enough for the tall club, but I'm not short enough to be a shorty. So it's rough out here for me. All I can do is be judgy. Uh, sorry about it. I also, <laughs> I wrote this note and I like love it that I wrote it. And it was like, abusive people always make you clean the house before getting to know you, which is so true with Olaf. He just basically enslaves these children, which is terrible. And I wonder if this is like a commentary on foster homes. I don't really know that world too much, but I wonder if that is like a bunch of people just taking kids to basically get them to do chores in their house so that they don't have to and they can kind of collect a paycheck. And then Olaf is so generous, he gives them one bed for three children that are of all different ages and going through all different levels of puberty. He gives them one bed and a pile of rocks. Honestly, our government to homeless people, I feel like. And then he talks about how the shampoo that he has encourages tears, uh, just like abusers do. And it is crazy. Like, I didn't realize until I watched the series and was, like, critically analyzing it. Because I watched the series and critically reviewed it before I critically reviewed the movie. But I'd watched the movie, like, millions of times as a child. But it is very interesting to see the abusive culture in this, which is something that I've studied and has been very into because it's shaped and made my life so derailed for most of it. Make up their own rules. And it's so crazy because it's like there's no rhyme or reason to these rules. They just make them up and then it's 
a bunch of people follow them and it and it's evident too like there's some in the way like Counterluff has this huge troop and they all play by whatever his rules are because I think rules the truth is, is that our world is ruleless it doesn't have any structure so abusers come in and they can sometimes like make this structure but you don't realize that like you have the power to make your own structure in this world as well there's nobody you know obviously there's the rules of society which we're all debating like do we even agree with these rules uh and i think most of us do not really if we really sat and thought about all of it but we let some things rule for ease of convenience and maybe with those you can't break without a consequence. But for most of your life and your day-to-day decisions, you have some say over what happens. You have a choice of what you do. You don't have to run the rat race if you don't want to. You don't have to be an artist, a starving artist if you don't want to. Like so much is the narrative that you tell yourself and abusers tell your narrative for you, which is why I think they hook so many people it's easier. It's easier to let others tell you what to do and then decide for yourself because half the time with yourself, you're going at it alone and you're doing and you're paving new ways and it can be scary, especially in a time where there's been so many people who have paved the ways to do stuff. It's just easier to follow in somebody else's footsteps. So it's very interesting in the Netflix series because some of these actors play it very comedic and some play it very serious. And I like when they play it serious more because then there are these just like natural funny moments that occur in tragedy. And it feels like I understand that it's a kid show. This is not supposed to be like a Hong Kong clown noise kid show type of show. It's supposed to be like for more mature children. Honestly, I feel like children who have had tragedy in their life really relate to this book series because it's not like Sally and Jimmy were wonderfully taken care of on this Malibu farm and they had their own farm animals and a big tree house and mom and daddy were always there to put dinner on the table at night. Like this is about like loss and the failure of adults to cure for children that have pretty much already entered an adult world like they're so this this book is deep so it doesn't need what Netflix tried to do I think to make it family friendly and then they it's also very cool to see all the like little easter eggs in the beginning that you don't really necessarily get in the movie like they reference the fungus that Sunny ends up choking on and uh, I was just I'm not ready for that I can't wait because that's like one of my that's my favorite book um, it wasn't my favorite episode unfortunately and it's also very interesting on Olaf getting back to his abusive culture is that he is mad, like most abusers are mad when you don't absolutely love anything they do, which is, you know, that's not love. Love isn't adoration, mindless adoration. And it kind of makes sense that Olaf wants that because he doesn't get that from his parents. And you want to, you like to believe in an unconditional love where it's like, oh, somebody will love everything that we do, but I'm just going to come out here and save you a lot of trouble. But I wish this, somebody would have told me this plain and frank in my face and saved me years. They tell me now after it, after I understood the concept, of course, but like no one is going to love everything you do, even the people that love you. And that is okay. That is being human. You can't. 100% please everybody then we would be like an amoeba you know just that simple I don't think humans are just too complex to be 100% lovable but this is like what abusers do is because if you don't love them 100% then they ridicule you for having your own opinion which you are entitled to completely have and it's just like it's a very fine line between that like abusive control of like not letting you have your own independent thought and just also 
being plain rude. I honestly kind of feel like they're both tiers of the same piece of coin. One is just worse. It's like in a spectrum of like you either lose your toenail on your pinky or you lose your whole foot, right? In the terms of like abuse spectrum. Then when Olaf like literally dangles Sunny in front of them and then shoves her on a plate of food, like uh, CPS do something. I don't think CPS exist in this world and it's just... Oh, it's so hard like he got a little bit scarier in the scene because you care for Sunny and you know like an adult doing that is so like crazy and, and wild and also he then yells at them for preparing dinner not the way that he wanted it and that is like such a typical abuser thing where you yell at somebody for doing something that they didn't communicate like they are mad that you didn't read their mind you can't read their mind we don't have that power yet I mean maybe some psychics do but I think a lot of that is like years of studying which you don't have if you just met a person he also olaf also slaps klaus which is actual abuse as we come to know it i also do not like in the series that they do this like clever adult children thing i don't remember if they did it in the book where they'll be like what's that thing that einstein said because it's just it Nobody talks like that, right? Like, I mean, I think if somebody says that they, they like say it in the same ritualistic tone of like, what's that thing that Einstein said? That two equals MC squared or whatever, you know what I mean? And they'll say it like that. And it's like, in real life, I feel like the moment is, ah, what's that thing that, like, they are mad that you can't, they can't remember it themselves. And then the other person is like, oh, it's this. And it's like, a nice helping and and here it's just like a a repetition thing almost like the way that the secret organization does the world is quiet here it doesn't feel natural between the kids although they keep them in a pretty straightforward acting style kind of nothing super affects them except when it it is like super in danger and they're just reacting to being traumatized and the adults are kind of the zany characters in this which is kind of how the book was too I just wanted a little bit of better writing for them. But it's hard because I have a feeling that this was kind of rushed out in terms of production. And then <laughs> I even got tricked in this series because, and it, and it was brutal what Netflix does to you, where you believe that Colby Smulders and Will Arnett are the Baudelaire's parents coming to rescue them. And I read the books. I know that's not happening. I know that the Quagmire's parents are out there. But I got got by the series. I got so got. Also, I love Colby Smulders. She's perfect. I was only an extra on the set of Stumptown, but I would love to work with her more because her energy is fantastic. And it's one of those things where she's probably my only role model I've had so far that has ended up actually, I think, being a really cool person. So shout out to that because you can meet your idols and it can be cool we also didn't i feel like need this flashback that we get of olaf and mr poe talking but i do love the nickname jessica haircut i feel like that's just writing genius and so i totally understand why they made this scene i can't wait for someone to name their kid that it's probably gonna be a white person i love too that olaf is a legit struggling actor um and that's why he like meets this fortune i feel like many actors feel the same way as olaf right they'll be like yeah i would you know take a orphans in to steal their money so that i can be a successful actor <laughs> it's terrible honestly i got me thinking about it maybe i'm not so i can't judge olaf because i'm like pretty much on the same spectrum uh i don't like 100 percent love the troop and i think that's probably for the best to have like a sort of animosity when you are looking at 
Count Olaf's troop, so that means the casting is probably good. I definitely pictured his troop different than how the Netflix series did it. And they're obviously a bigger part in the series than they are in the movie. And I will say that for the Baudelaire's, I feel like they're much more... There's like Emily Browning in A Series of Unfortunate Events looks like she's 16. Klaus also looks like he's 16. And here they look like 14 and 11. They like really... Everybody really looks their age kids-wise, which is was kind of jarring at first because it in the books, you know, you're I'm just picturing like what I saw in the movie because that's like what I have in my head now after watching it so many times. And it was like crazy to think. It was like, oh no, like they are that young in the book. And there's like a couple of like phone interrupting bits that are supposed to be funny that I just don't laugh at. Like it's, I mean, I'm not really the target audience. I'm not like a super young for kids, but it's just like some of the humor, it doesn't land for me. But, you know, make up your own mind of what you think is funny. I am against people telling other people what is funny and what is not because humor is profoundly personal and that's what's beautiful about it. I also wanted Mr. Poe to use his handkerchief when he coughed all the time. This is a COVID world, you know what I'm saying? And it's just like, the series gets so frustrating because it is so much about adults not listening to children. So if you're an adult watching this series, I hope you take that into consideration, you know? And then another interesting of Olaf being the abuser, I'm going to come back to this a lot because I'm just like fascinated on this concept just to break down what abusers do because a lot of people don't know or they don't see it. And I've got the knowledge for you, baby. So I'm going to just like put it down on you. So basically Olaf is infiltrating the Bolliler's life, which is what abusers do. And pretty much he's already convinced all the adults to write the children off as wrong so that they lose credibility because they're just children. So they can't tell on him because and, and report his abuse because he's already discredited them as a source, which is what a lot of abusers do. Because then they can't get in trouble for what they're doing if no one believes you, if they make you the boy who cried wolf even though there really is a wolf. The Hook guy is also really great casting. I really liked that they made like an ethnic casting choice with him. The movie was really whitewashed in terms of like rethinking on it and it really didn't have to be, you know? I also love when Olaf is like, when I was your age, but literally all of the Baudelaire's are all different ages. It's just the nonsensicalness of abusers. Like really, when I think about every time that I've been abused, it's literally they just spew nonsense. It's insane. Uh, I also loved the image of an agent tied to the tree in the phone booth, Jacqueline. It's super cool. There's some really super cool images in the series and like the set design. You just got to give it up for all of the crew on this show because they did a really good job. I also feel like when they do kind of the like Hong Kong clown humor that I was telling you guys about, it is a discredit to the book because the humor in the book is very clever and very smart and it's not like obvious in your face funny. Like that's, save that for another kid's show. It's just, it's not this story. It's not this brand. You know what I mean? Um, I always laugh too when there's recaps on Netflix originals because it's like you're, you think I'm not going to binge this? You think that I didn't just watch this episode right before that? Like, and then sometimes too, I will go back and I will not see a series for like months because I went and reviewed something else because I just got like tired or, or bummed out by it. And I'm like, oh, thank God for this recap because I had no idea what my note before even meant. 
Also, I love, too, that Violet is the pretty girl with tools, which is a great skill because as a woman, she's going to have to deal with a lot of tools. I was questioning if they looked like siblings because I think the actress who plays Violet is Hispanic and Klaus and Sunny feel very white to me. She's like, it seems like the kid, the girl who plays Violet is like the kind of Hispanic where I am. Is like, I don't know if you, I honestly, though, I will say, I feel like when you look at my face and my dark eyebrows, and honestly, even my body shape, you can tell that I'm Hispanic more than white, but people only see my like pasty white skin color. So that's like what they go by. But I'm like, I feel like I don't have white person features at all most of the time. I also, speaking of more Olaf abuser things, Olaf like gives them something to eat and, and drink and then he drinks it all himself. And that is like such an abuser thing. It's like, oh, I made this for you, but I'm going to eat the majority of it. And it's like, so you made this for you and you're going to share a tiny piece, which like I'm always grateful for any sharing. You know, people are selfish and like sharing is a rare thing these days. Sharing for free is a really rare thing in the 21st century. And that is really sad to me. But yeah, they, you know, they pretend like they're doing this big selfless act, but really it has selfish undertones in it the entire time. The man who is, who is neither a man or a woman is... Honestly, great casting. So good. I also loved the good joke of like, they're like, this cake is lemony. And they're like, don't say that name, which is, that's a great pun. That's the kind of humor that is needed in this show. Like very word punny, very witty. That's just the context of the book. The where's the sugar bowl coming in this early feels forced. The way that they explain figurative and literally is my favorite figurative and literary explanation ever. It's great. And I will continue to use the word literally wrong, literally and figuratively. I wonder if it is still legal. And I, I don't have the research, but it's just a question I'm wondering. I don't feel like we have to have the answers all the time. That's just who I am as a person. But I wonder if it is still legal that with your dad's permission, you can marry as young as you want. Like, is that possible? Can you marry an eight to nine year old just because the dad said so? Because that seems really messed up in the law if that is the case. And of course, to get Violet to comply, because this abuser is like an actual terrible, terrible person that gets kind of underplayed in the corniness of all of this. He literally holds Violet's baby sister, Sunny, hostage, which poor Violet has all this, like, pressure on herself from her parents to, like, as the older sibling, keep all of her siblings safe. That older sibling, you know, pressure. Comment, you know, if you are that the older sibling that has to deal with that because it's rough. I am technically the middle child, but I was raised as an older sibling because it's separated from my two sisters before it. So I'm all sorts of... All over the place with sibling dynamics oh and then it is so creepy to say that she is pretty for Olaf to go and say that it's just like so uncomfortable because he's basically keeping her around that's because she's pretty and it's just oh I want to puke because um, she is underage and it is it is like a weird thing like when my stepdad would go and like shame me for what I was wearing for my clothes white it's like it is weird to get that narrative, and, and maybe it's just me, but it is weird to get that narrative from somebody who isn't blood comment on your clothing. It is just, it's weird. It doesn't make you feel good. And shut up, why should you have an opinion? And what I hate is that, so Violet does all this big sacrifice, agrees to be this like child bride that she doesn't want to, basically wedding against her will, a freaking nightmare that goes on in even America because the sex traffic 
industry is still large and in charge, people. It's not done. We need to help. We need to do something. I don't know what it is to do. We got to do something. But Olaf basically says he's going to dispose of her brother and sister. And it's like, so then they're not going to let Sunny live anyway. So you might as well just like not marry and just be like, fuck it. You know, and try your best to get your siblings back yourself. But yeah, I mean, it's like scary. This is an adult. And for up until like this point, the Bolaris have been able to trust any adult that's in their life. And it's like that world that they lived in is ruined overnight in a fire. Uh, then Violet invents the grappling hook, which is so great. And then Olaf is like, they keep telling Olaf, like, you're never going to touch our fortune. And Olaf is like, I will touch whatever I want. It's just ooh, so gross. I think they kind of get rid of the pervy jokes of like that. As the series goes on, he starts, I think, to only make them to, like, other adults. But, because I think it is, it is, like, it is hard to see that to children. And the sad thing is, is, like, a bunch of creepy men, and probably even some creepy women, but I think it's mostly creepy men, make those same comments to children on the daily. Like, that is the society we still live in. And it just makes me depressed, honestly. I also love that everyone in the town was wearing orange when they're going to see this play, it's super cool. I guess Orange is in, right? Well, but we'll get to all of that in the second season. I also like it because it kind of keeps this narrative of like, oh, everybody is the same. Like there's the individuality that the Baudelaire's possess is very, very rare. And then this is something I related to as a victim of abuse is that the Bolivar children are just staying up all night trying to just invent their way out of this hell. Like, trying to find every solution. Because that's, like, what the human brain does. It doesn't give up, which is an incredible thing. And that's, like, why I believe even when people are like, oh, this mental illness, you're going to live with it forever. I hate to attach to those narratives because it's like in a way yes but like everybody is living with anything they've had in the past forever and that like shouldn't make you like put up with your own mental illnesses abuse like you can invent your way your brain wants to adapt and even if it's sick or struggles or is like a little bit slower than others to adapt it wants to do that as a default like for example, my eye, though it isn't, it can't see as well as it did, it still wants to see. The desire is still there. And with that, anything is possible. It might look a little bit different from somebody's brain who is has it easier, but it doesn't mean that it's not possible for you in your own version. So like, never stop dreaming. I didn't love the way that the twin ladies looked. I don't, I just didn't picture them to be as old. I think I pictured them to be younger. But their voices are exactly what I imagined. So they're very interesting. I end up liking them more over the series. Then we begin Sunny being very good at poker. Uh, and they make these like streaming service jokes there. And it just breaks the world for me. Because it's all like weirdly 1940s Victorian-ish. I don't know what the time period of the series of unfortunate events is really supposed to be but it is very interesting so when they make like streaming service jokes it just like but i get it you gotta go for it because it's like here's an opportunity to be meta and there's not many times for those like there's not many ways that you can have those in a series i love justice dress's stage fright it's so good I also, this is like such a show that an abuser would put on. It is literally just about Count Olaf being handsome. That is what the show is about. It is insane. Then they basically get out of it with the legal argument. I'm not really going to talk about plot so much. 
in these first three books because I'm basically just going to be saying the same thing for the movie. So check out my review of the movie coming after I finish the review of these. We'll have to see where they end up, how much it'll be per each one. I love Dr. Montgomery because he's just my favorite. He's my favorite one of them and it is just it's too soon. He's the my favorite guardian. I, that's the one that I wish they ended up with. They also go to a vicariously fixed destination. They, have, they start getting in those VFD puns and I actually really like it because I was obsessed with that Cody book. I think about that book so much. I have no idea if this author knows his impact on my life, but I'm thinking about that unauthorized biography so much. It was just such a cool book. It was so fascinating. Oh, it was amazing. And then it is very sad. It always gets me sad when Justice Strauss can't take them in because they like have learned to love and trust Justice Strauss. And she's like my second person that I wish the Baudelaire's went with. And then Gustav, I can't, I'm not saying his name right. I think it's like literally the same as the little boy who's in Les Mis, but maybe I'm wrong. But he ends up dying uh, and he says, the world is quiet here, which I was also obsessed with in the books. I think it's such a cool phrase. I love it. But he gets shot in the neck and he dies. And it, it is sad, even though we like barely got any time with him. Um, yes, again, I just, I love Monty, even with his little creepy askew mustache. I just love him. I also love that he's, he's like, yeah, I'm rich because of all my reptiles. He's like literally the exotic animal rich gangster that I always think about. <laughs> so he doesn't need for the fortune of the Baudelaire's at all. And Klaus is, you can kind of like start to see the trauma in the children from just being in the situation of Count Olaf even for that brief amount of time because Klaus is trying to like break the cycle to make sure that like he's not being used again and kind of protect his family as the the patriarch archetype in this like group of his siblings. I think that the movie casting of Monty is a little bit better. Like he, he has like a kinder face than this one, but this one does, I will buy that he works with reptiles more. This guy just looks like he works with reptiles, this actor, the way they've costumed him. You're like, yeah, absolutely you do. You, when you're not acting, you're like petting a snake, clearly. And then they're, the bullers are still kind of, you know, timid. They're like, our parents never mentioned you, you know, like, and then Monty laughs and it's like my favorite thing ever. And he's like, there's a picture of this, us over there. And it's just like a picture of the piano and they're like, <laughs> it's like because they're in the hiding in the piano and there's like a framed picture of it I have so many questions and I just love it I could see a whole movie on just that moment because I just it makes me tickled pink Monty's assistant resigned suddenly which means that he was murdered because that's a gusto I think was his assistant and Monty is weirdly not suspicious about that which I don't understand the reptile room set is just so cool. It's like, there's got like a steampunky vibe to it. It's just amazing. Like, honestly, just some incredible, brilliant set design. I love the minds of like architects that can kind of do that. Like it is, it is so beautiful and they do not get enough credit on just the amazingness of that. When the incredibly deadly viper strikes out, it is honestly very scary. Hold your children co close. If you haven't seen this before, if you're looking to this podcast as like a should I watch this it's just like whew, it is it is a pretty I was frightened and I'm an adult woman it is kind of messed up though that Monty is playing a trick on the reptile society because they made fun of him like vengeance isn't great payback isn't great Monty but 
I also think sometimes too, you've got to stick up for yourself. Like this is the thing with bullies is like you have to show them that you are not to be messed with to get them to stop. Although with like abusers like Kanaloff, it's a bit harder because they don't stop no matter what. Oh, it's rough. The dangerous from the good speech that Monty kind of launches into about the reptiles, it's just like some really good trauma healing. So just go watch it, please. I also love that when they explain dramatic irony. I don't know if anybody's done it as well as Stranger Than Fiction, but I, I love some good dramatic irony. It's a great literary device and it makes this story so interesting. And Klaus is just kind of finally coming into terms with his emotions and expressing them, which is so healthy for a young male, honestly. So good. Express your emotions. Don't bottle it in. That's so dumb for anybody, honestly. When Klaus is just like frustrated because his parents kept all of these secrets. And then they all go to see a movie that they've never seen before and they have like video messages. And then you see that Monty and Count Olaf have that same tattoo of what they think is an eye. And then Count Olaf comes in as Stefano and he threatens to cut off Sonny's toe if they tell, cause he's got like a knife and it's, oh, it's rough. Honestly though, I will say Neil Patrick Harrison was way better at becoming and doing all these accents and characters than Jim Carrey was. Like it was like where Jim Carrey had intimidating Neil Patrick Harris had versatility and it is so bizarre and crazy to think about, but I, I applaud both of them. And then Monty is a little bit suspicious that he's got this assistant that was sent to him, even though he didn't ask. I also love that it was, is the snake sound society. It was, it's so ridiculously funny. It's, you might not get it unless you watch it. So go watch it because it's a great snake joke. Then Olaf isn't like a very good researcher even like which is probably why his acting career is kind of struggling because I think that's like part of it is like you have to be like super talented sometimes but his character has an alligator skin suitcase as a person who works with reptiles that doesn't seem to be very smart you know seems like a dead giveaway but Maddie doesn't pick it up and then the children are like, he chased us with a knife, but Monty like still lets him in. And it is this like crazy thing that people do with abusers. They're just like, oh, well, he hasn't chased me with a knife, right? So I'll get to know him. And it's like, I am trying to warn you, which is like what I think good animals do, right? Like they're mirror cats. There's one mirror cat that sits out and guards everything. And the reason he does that is to warn the other meerkats of danger. Why do people not take the same advice? Hello, please explain. And then Stefano disguised as Olaf, or Olaf disguised as Stefano, drops this lamp and talks about, you know, being careless and, and kind of insinuates that like, oh, he could carelessly murder somebody, which is like sociopathic, so sociopathic. They then make another Netflix joke of like long form television to movies so that you could have the comfort of the home. And it's just like so weird, like all like pause in the thing. And it's a meta joke. And like, again, I understand it, but it's just like, it's very heavy handed and it takes me out. Then I hate this too, but it's such an abuser thing to do. It is like they, in, they embody all seven sins, bras. So then Olaf is like asked to pass these pot stickers around when they're having dinner and he just eats all of them so that no one can have them. And that's just like, it's that kind of selfish behavior, babies. That's like how you can recognize it. And it's so hard because like you get used to them telling you that, oh, I'm not an abuser. I'm not an abuser. You're the one with problems. You should be lucky that I, I am taking you in. You should be grateful, right? And it's just like, no, no, no. Wake up out of your sleep. This person is a monster, right? Like, it's the way they trap people. Like, 
in a way, it is like an animalistic quality. Uh, Neil Patrick Harrison definitely gets better as Cantaloupe as he goes on. I just want to say that. Then they talk about herpetology, which is like, you know, the study of reptiles. And <laughs> Cantaloupe goes that he doesn't know anything about mouth sores. And I just can't. That's honestly like a really funny joke. I just want to just say funny jokes because maybe some comedian out there is listening to my podcast and is trying to be like what is humor so here you go here are things that i find really funny so they watch the movie called zombies in the snow which i remember from the unauthorized biography and it's so cool uh and they use this decoder and the english subtitles and they say like the best movies have subtitles i love subtitles i feel like i'm so alone in liking subtitles but i really really like them um, which is also a, a shout out to foreign cinema, which is honestly, there's so many good foreign cinema movies. It's just amazing. So Gustavo and Jacqueline are also in the movie and the song is pretty good. Like there's some talent. They're not only secret spies, they're also like really talented people. It's just like they are, you know, quadruple threats. They're all amazingly talented. But the subtitles anyway have code and the code that he gets is take children to Prospero. But Olaf then tries to block Monty to not get the messages because he's aware because he knows, you know, he was a part of the secret society. He knows how it works. I love the two ladies of Count Olaf's troop that they're in this like popcorn uniform. It's honestly a look. And Count Olaf, to make it worse, not only is he blocking, he spills all of the popcorn all over Monty and the children when he goes to the seat because he's just the worst, you know? And then Monty goes to leave. And he asks Olaf to keep an eye on the children. And because I guess they're like too young to be left in the theater alone. That is probable. Um, but it just sucks that it's like, you cannot trust this guy. How can you be so blind? I also cannot tell if the women who are in the popcorn uniform, if they are conjoined. You can feel free to explain this to me. Sorry, I don't have a guest who would know. Sometimes I ask my guest questions and they're like, I don't know, Thea, you're... You're wandering more than I have the capacity for either. Will and Arnett and Colby Smolers make a great couple, by the way, because they keep intercutting with them. And I just want to say they are perf would support them having babies. And then they ended up being at Peru, which is very interesting that they were sending the children to the quagmires. I wonder if that was always the original intent. And the, But they're like on a waterfall edge and it's like a really cool shot. Monty also wants to take them to Peru and it just like... It hurts because I already know he's going to die right from reading the books and watching the original movie. And he's just like making all of these plans and it is just so heartbreaking. And he's like, we can still have the life that your parents wanted for you. And it's just oh, so much. Also, I wonder if that eye tattoo is a little bit of a, a like hint to the Illuminati if there was like if that was a big inspiration for the author the CGI in here can sometimes get a little too CGI by the way I just would like to tell you that it's not you know it's not very very well pre-produced they decided to kind of go cartoony with some parts and then Monty dead in the chair it is just awful looking he's like bloated like the death makeup is intense and it is I mean it's good but Olaf is like, okay, I'll take you to Peru. I'm going to put Sunny in the luggage, which, Jesus, it's just awful, awful, awful. She's a baby. But the man, who was neither a man or a woman, got into an accident with Mr. Poe, so he's here. And the he says, you know, it was clearly the fault of the banker, but Mr. Poe doesn't agree. And the children are trying to say, like, this is Count Olaf, but again, like, the adults don't listen, and they're calling the police for the fender bender and now they're like dead uncle and the man who is neither a man or a woman is also playing a nurse it does a very good job i honestly like really admire their work and they also 
mention a quarantine which like comes up you know in medical stuff but it was like I don't remember that being in the books and now that we are in quarantine stuff like that spooks me I'm like did they know was this all a plan like are there people who are completely psychic and just like letting people know stuff I'm scared and then they mix up a topsy with audition and that really made me laugh the hook guy is wearing fake hands and then they also realize Klaus has this moment where he sees that the eye tattoo that is on the ankle is also in the encoder and I also am like how did Klaus not see Monty use this in the theater though because it was pretty obvious but basically they have to go prove the deadly vipers innocence because it's a misnomer obviously and then I love when it runs to Sunny. It's one of my favorite images of this like baby with the snake. And I can't believe like they never told Monty it was Count Olaf in the series. And I wonder if he would have believed them. And it's such a hard thing because like we'll never know. He's dead. The Sunny baby is also she's ridiculously cute. She's really good casting. I don't love how they do subtitles with her because it's like really fast and you don't always read them. So I have no idea how accurate they are. They're always like swarmy. And kind of like very tongue-in-cheek and very intelligent. I'm also high-key envious of the ribbon tying in the hair that Violet does so effortlessly. Because I look so bad in a ponytail. When Poe freaks out, he just feels so trapped in his body as an actor. And like I don't mean to critique him like so terrible. Because I know he's like trying his best and I want more diversity in films. And there's like something there. But it's just like... For me, when I see somebody like having taken acting classes and like knowing what to do to fix, that's like my advice to him. He's like, he just feels so trapped when he is freaking out. And that like might be a choice, but I didn't love it. It ticks me out. Count Olaf can't keep track of all of lies because he doesn't know anything about snakes because he just got here, even though he was hired as an assistant because he knew about snakes. And also it was like, so then if you don't know about snakes, you wouldn't know about that snake. And it's just like, you know, it's just an abuser's lies, right? Like it all comes up to them one day and you'll be like, this doesn't make sense. And it'll finally crack open, you know? Too bad so many people don't realize it because they only have such brief interactions and to truly realize some super abuse is just to like really be immersed in it. And it's so interesting that like you can't tell in our society, you can't tell an adult that they're lying because that's like embarrassing for all people. Like it feels like an awkward thing, but you can easily call out a child and say, oh, you're lying because it feels like, oh, you're going to break that in an adult, but we don't try to fix adults. Because we have this terrible narrative of like, oh, when you grow up, everything is stagnant. And it's so, it is so untrue. I don't know why they fed that to people. So then they go to Aunt Josephine, the fierce and formidable. And then Jacqueline is in this amazing abandoned statue costume. It is like super cool. I don't really understand all the plots. Like, I feel like kind of that was unnecessary, but I get that they're like fleshing it out for the show. I don't love it. Sometimes you can tell that Sunny is a different baby. She's like several babies, I think, um, which I get. Welcome to the world of television, baby, but it is very fun to see. And this time, Poe doesn't even meet the, their guardian because she didn't want to come down and he doesn't want to go up to the hill and has to go somewhere. And it's like, you, after all of this time, after like them being surrounded by an abuser, you're not even going to come to see it. Like, even though you know Olaf invaded capture like you're not going to come check it out like this he's such a bad guardian he's such a terrible terrible guardian then we learn that the bull are allergic to peppermints which we didn't get in the other story and is one of my favorite things about the third book 
and Josephine annoys me. It's like a very well written. I think like the story is a little bit better in the third book, but and Josephine's character just annoys me so much because she could be so different. So then of course Poe leaves them when also a hurricane is coming, which is great. Going to add even more trauma to these poor, poor Baudelaire's. They also have a very CGI car ride. I don't hate it. You can definitely tell it's like green screen, but it's it's pretty cool. It's just very interesting. There's a lot of interesting artistic choices in this. And Anne Josephine's house is just so perched, so precariously on a rock and very welcoming. It has a please go away on a house knocker. It's not you know, not amazing for a guardian. And Josephine does not want them to knock because they can get splinters when they knock because it could break off into shards. That's how they would get the splinters and then they would get an infection from the splinters. Uh, she literally is like my aunt. All ants must worry. Uh, and Josephine is also scared of electricity. You know, you never can be too careful. And honestly, this actress is playing Aunt Josephine. She is better if not on par with Meryl Streep. And like, that is a compliment. You know what I mean? That is like a hard shoe to fill. And this girl does it. And she does it with all the fucking baggage of diversity that people put on because people are like racist and on top of probably being oh Meryl Streep is the best and could ne no one could ever beat her Aunt Josephine and I honestly think this woman comes for her she comes for Meryl and that is like that is powerful because Meryl needs some competition she corrects grammar and I always wonder I was like how many Republicans watching this are gonna be like liberals Aunt Josephine is a liberal and then Aunt Josephine shares about how like she used to be such a badass, but then she lost her husband Ike because they were on a picnic developing secret codes. And she was like, I told him to wait an hour after eating, but he only waited 45 minutes. And they're like, oh, did he like die of cramps? You know, cause they're children and that's what they heard. And they're like, no, leeches, which is what Aunt Josephine says. And honestly, the leeches in here, they're freaking scary they do scare me and leeches in general just scare me I've had a leech on my foot before and it just like it's a lot you know it's a lot also cool thing that they did in the series is that Lake Lacrimose is shaped like VFD which is insane I wonder if it's still shaped that way after the hurricane grammar is Anne Josephine's greatest joy in life if this is you I actually really want to know because I'd like you to edit my book so please comment and we'll work something out they have cold soup which would ugh, kill me I don't I can't do cold soup I can't do it I don't think I could do it. Maybe I could. I'll try it once. We'll see. But she's just too afraid because hot things can like burst into flames. She gives me so much anxiety as a character, but I also understand having anxiety of my own. And it is like kind of an, a hack for anxiety. It's like, oh, I'm feeling anxious and then that makes me feel bad but I'll just be afraid of everything because that's like legit like and I'm smart enough to know that like oh yeah there is everything to be afraid of so I'll just do it but it is insane how she's like adapted to her anxiety in this there's so much to talk about in this book and it's just like and it's sad honestly it's sad that she has let her traumas rule her like this and so many people live like this and it's just oof it's sad and they like ask Aunt Josephine why she doesn't move since she's like clearly living in Ike's shadow and is clearly upset and she's and they're like you know I know moving is expensive and she's like oh no it's not that she's just afraid of real estate agents which I want to know what the reason why is I feel like there's like a backstory that never gets explored like if someone else was a real estate agent who was like a bad friend that she had i don't know what it is they do this like cool orange jacket in the store and it it's like a really cool transition but i just want to say that i hate it on lemony it just doesn't fit him at all his sort of character but the transition was a cool thing so i understand why they did it there's just some stuff where it's like they just did some like cool tech stuff and while it doesn't go for the story it's so hard because it's like oh this is cool 
Like, that's what Netflix shows usually do. It's like, sometimes the story isn't good, but they're like, we're just trying new filmmaking things. And that is like essentially what filmmaking is about. So then we learn that everybody thinks that Snicket is dead. We don't know which Snicket. I don't know if they mean Kit or all of them. I think they think that all the Snickets are dead, but they are not. Maybe they don't think that the Nathan Snicket is dead. I know he's not Nathan in this universe, but that's what I know him as. Or Captain Hammer. <laughs> anyway, then they have the cool clown restaurant, which I loved. I feel like that is not done as well in the movie because they had such limited time. And of course, there's like a waiter, a secret agent waiter. And he spills that Josephine is the guardian to Count Olaf, which is so interesting because it's like they're in the secret organization. And some people in it are so bad at keeping a secret. But it would honestly be me. I want to talk about everything. Although I think I could be discreet. If I knew it was important, I could keep my mouth shut. So then Aunt Josephine, out of touch as she is, she gives Violet a doll, Klaus the cards, and Sunny a rattle, and then leaves the kids home alone. And so they just basically go crazy. They turn on the stove. They light candles because, you know, they want to live and they're not afraid. And they're like, I know we shouldn't complain, but I want to complain anyway. And I love it because it's so, it, that is such a relatable thing to say. And it's just like such a, such a human thing to say. And then they see all these pictures of Josephine when she was outgoing and see all her like adventures and her wrestling and alligator and skydiving. She comes in and she talks about how she used to be outgoing and, and go on adventures and wrestle alligators and skydive. And she's like, you know what? I can't be terrified for Ever. and so she met a man and of course it's Count Olaf as Captain Sham and I love that the troop Olaf's troop is goes on and like does this like background hype so that when she finally meets Count Olaf as Captain Sham she's already heard that he's handsome and it is like the way that abusers work it's like they get out all the stuff about their image so that when you finally meet them you don't have to question what it is because you're believing what all these people have said but basically they've just like trained all of these other people to say it it is like utterly fascinating but Aunt Josephine also has like issues of her own because she literally corrects Captain Sham's business card and it is just like it is a yikes moment never be that person I don't think you'll have a lot of friends unfortunately their attraction feels very forced I mean it must be hard because Neil Patrick Harris is gay and most of like the women that we saw him with on How I Met Your Mother he like just treated as objects and then Colby Smulders and him they were they had like such a friendship that you could you didn't care really about any like romantic attraction because their friendship itself was already so like great. But yeah, the interaction between him, Kyle and Olaf and, and Josephine just, it just isn't amazing. And I don't know if it's supposed to feel that way. Like it's all planned or like adults are idiots or they're just like that they force themselves into attractions that clearly don't work. Like maybe that's part of the thingy, but that was just my observation. So the orphans go and try to warn, I think, Mr. Poe about what is happening. But the henchmen are there and they're like, oh, you know, it's dangerous to be out at night. And like basically threaten them again. So these poor children, like they keep trying to go and do stuff. And it's just so like cut off from abusers. And it's just oh, so rough. I really feel for them. I remember being there where it was like anything you did, the abuser was already there. Because it's like all they, they just spend all their time pretty much like figuring out how to get you. Like that's their plan right and you're like younger and usually more inexperienced like they just know what to take advantage and they do it and they're just like really feeling it the bubble layers they're like there's nowhere safe for us and our parents aren't coming back and then they are like you know what we can still protect Aunt Josephine which is like a position that children never should have to be in to protect their parents like, I understand that 
it comes out sometimes in real life. But, like, as an adult, I can understand doing the favor and protecting your parents and, like, voting the right way so that you don't screw the elderly generation. But it's just, like, they have a trauma vigilante, which does happen in trauma, where you feel like you have to protect everyone now because you know there's, like, two sides of the coin. It doesn't always happen to people, but some people, like, take their trauma and they're like, okay, now I have to be a superhero, which is kind of what I think is happening here. And then they see that their aunt has jumped out a window and committed suicide and they are literally 14 and under. So this is a huge thing to deal with, right? I mean, I tried to kill myself at 13 because, and that's like when it started sadly, but it's like, it is another thing I think to deal with an adult in your life that has committed suicide. Like that is an insane amount of pressure for these kids. Like these kids need therapy. And they try to say that the note that's left behind must be forgery, but then Poe is like, well, that's a serious charge to say like that she was murdered and this is forgery like you know your children but they try to compare it to Aunt Josephine's handwriting and it is Aunt Josephine's handwriting and I feel like there's a lot of like metaphors about the struggle of adulthood when you are forced into adulthood and kind of just like like even I remember like people will say like oh you're a baby adult and that like made me look at my life different and now I kind of hate that I like allowed people to say that about me and it like kind of undermined me because it, I like was discouraged because people were like oh you need to go out and enjoy your life in your 20s and it was like no I want to make a life that I can be prepared for but like nobody wanted to like take me seriously and it was really hard to kind of put my foot down and be confident and business-wise and it's like kind of happens to a degree in to the Bolaire children and it's like they've been right so many times and you think it would count for something but it never counts at all like no matter what everybody is fooled by count Olaf's disguise which I guess is like how it is with abusers like everybody is fooled by their mask that they put out uh and I don't understand with count Olaf too he's like now he's trying to like kill them but I don't know if it would work out like that that he would get their money if he killed them so they like switch to that and I don't remember how they handle it in the books obviously too I think abusers sometimes just like get more and more crazier when somebody is elusive to them they just start like pulling out all the stops and then we get the nervous clown later again who honestly I love all his acting jobs that he does and he hints to the children that they should look inside the cheeseburger before they eat it and I'm like man how many codes have I been missing just like shoving my in and out burger into my mouth with like no <laughs> with a regard and like just reckless abandon and basically there's like peppermints and the waiter is like an allergic reaction would help you which is you know terrible advice to like real life children but in this situation I understand and my first thought to as a child would be like wow everybody is evil I guess like and Josephine was messed up Count Olaf is winning and all this waiter is trying to tell us like allergic reaction ourselves um and I do like that they go and they explain in the movie like hey you should not put things that you're allergic to in your mouth like don't try this at home kids like this is just for a story because I think that is like a very important thing to do especially in family friendly stuff I think it's like why some stuff happened with like Superman and I mean like part of the thing is like how did your kid get on the roof you know and I understand that you get busy and whatnot and like kids are can be fast but like what you know what I mean like you, you've got to watch your children you've got to have these discussions and that's like why I made this podcast to kind of do a little thing for you so you can put them in front of the tv and still know what you're talking about and not necessarily have to watch the thing if you don't want to honestly the makeup design for the allergic reaction is so good because that looks like my welts when i am out in the cold with cold uritica because that's my allergy that i have i'm allergic literally allergic to the cold it is so bizarre so they tell him to go home and rest which is insane because usually when you have an allergic reaction that bad you should probably 
either go to the hospital although often you can go home and rest just depending if you have like an EpiPen or whatever but they like probably should have sought medical care um and they also give you a hot tip you know use baking soda for hives I'll have to try that and I don't know how they are not so tired because when I get an allergic reaction I'm just like dead like I have to go to sleep immediately my body basically is like we're shutting down we're resetting you know back to one everybody um and then of course these have they have to survive a hurricane that rips this house apart and everything that Aunt Josephine was worried about comes true which I love I think it do it better in the movie because the hurricane music in this series is not as good. It's like too circusy. But that scene is like so wild and must be so fun to do. But also probably so frustrating because there's so many, so many little things to get right. So then they kind of have to be a bad influence and steal a sailboat. Uh, and they kind of rationalize that, you know, they're just borrowing it. In the book, I think they tricked the henchmen and that was kind of cool. But it is like they, they end up going on this journey that I think anybody who's been abused goes on because you start seeing that the world is like not fair and you get into this thing of like well why should we operate fair like the evil people aren't playing fair it's not you know like we're never going to get ahead this way and it's such a interesting moral thing of like when do you break the rules and when don't you but anyway they still sailboat and sail in the middle of a hurricane and they go to a cave that's for sale because they cracked the code that that's where she is and then aunt josephine is like um why didn't you bring food and your stuff and they're like we thought you drowned there was no messages for food we can't live here and then we also like keep cutting to count olaf who is like looking at a mirror which is such a narcissistic behavior he like loves mirrors obviously because he loves himself so much and thinks he can do no wrong and the kids are still questioning aunt josephine and they're like why did you protect us why did you leave us by yourself like no one's going to believe us unless you come along now because everybody thinks you're dead and we're all afraid you know we were afraid when we brought down count olaf we were afraid when we had to like jump to get out of your house safely we were afraid to go into a hurricane and like the speech is so good Klaus is so good here um and I love, I mean, I don't love it. It's just like so ironic that Josephine will be like, oh yeah, forget about what the children want, what's best for the children. Uh, I'm not going to face my fear for that. But like a real estate agent is coming. Okay, I will leave, right? It's like her fear is more motivating than any like common sense love for the children. And that's like, uh, that's so rough. Like, I mean, I guess she's traumatized in her own way, but it's just really disheartening i just love the gorgeous cinematography and it's just such an interesting thing because the reason that the schism and the secret society was all created was that ishmael wanted to raise people in a quiet world that's like what the Baudelaire's parents wanted to raise their children in a quiet world and keep them safe and it like didn't work and i don't know if it's possible i don't know if it's only possible because some people it's not possible because there's a majority of people who think it's not possible and the world will always be somewhat unfair and this is just like the experience of life that there's no way to make a completely quiet world because that's just not the world or if that thought is just like limiting in ways that we could actually make the world more safe that we just don't do because we're like uh nature right it's never been done before how would we do that what about freedom to do bad stuff and it's like is it worth it right if you could just do most things correct i'm not even saying all things correct just like more more good things more kind things and it's just crazy people don't feel that way and thus i feel like injustice is allowed to continue so 
Aunt Josephine messes everything up because she eats a banana and that and burps and then that attracts all of the leeches and she didn't say anything before which is also very hard to believe given like what the tragedy of losing Ike did to her and the sound of the leeches is so scary I mean they are they're just it's a really scary scene they went hard on this they were like we are going to show up the movie we're like we are here to to disrespect we woke up today and we chose violence with these leeches and then Violet's trying to think her way out of this and she ties her ribbon up so slow and precise and it's like, oh, buddy, we don't have time here. But then she comes up with like signals for fire alarms to get somebody to help them because it's like the leeches are literally chewing a hole in the boat and they're attracting attention. And then Aunt Josephine doesn't even want to give up her scarf to help because she needs her scarf to protect her neck. Like it's just so selfish is honestly all of her behavior. And the other thing that sucks too is like they thought that they were just borrowing the sailboat. So now the stolen sailboat sings and is gone forever. So they basically stole and wrecked property, which is not what they intended to do, but it's what happened. And it just like sucks for them, right? Like now they are slowly becoming criminals because their abuser is making them into one. And that happens so much more than we give it credit for. So Count Olaf is like, oh, I'll rescue you if Josephine signs over the paperwork for me to adopt you, you know, fake your death and run away. And, and Josephine agrees. And because she's like, oh, parenting is so exhausting, which I imagine it is. But geez, you know, then they haven't even told her about how her house is destroyed. And Klaus is like, you know, later, you know, we're not going to we're not just going to add more to her stress right now, you know. But it's a very like funny moment because I I can't imagine having it to break that news to somebody. And and Josephine is like, are you were going to betray me after all the secrets we shared? And like, it's Olaf. So of course he is because he's a muser and that like doesn't matter to him. And of course, Josephine ends up getting pushed off because she tells Count Olaf that he's a vastly intelligent actor and just tells him and corrects his grammar and that pisses her off. And he's like, you know, you children can go on after her, but they don't because they're children and the lake is full with leeches. And they're just like, we hope she's safe. But, you know, she's dead. The leeches ain't her body and it is messed up and he like literally murders Aunt Josephine in cold blood with cold water in front of these children and it's just it's a lot but Sunny comes and saves the day because she's a remarkable baby and she gnaws off Count Olaf's wooden leg and then they go into a truck of a car of Lucky Smells Lumber Mill because they like see the symbol and they're like what other choice do we have we have to like follow it and Obviously, the adults have been, like, so unhelpful to them. And they kind of get into an argument, and they're like, does it matter if we made the right choice? And they're like, I don't think it matters. They're like, what matters is what happens, which is true. But it's also like, you should be, if you can make the best choices as possible, that is important. But obviously, they are just, like, traumatized and at this point just reacting, you know. And the shot of them in the trunk with the trees is so cool. But Poe is now hysterical because he has lost the children that he is responsible for, which is really bad for the bank and I just don't they like seem like they're like oh children are gonna love when he's like hysterical like that they're gonna think it's so funny and and maybe they do I didn't obviously watch this with a child but I don't like it but the waiter offers free samples of clam chowder to calm him down and the children are like I hope he's not too worried about us okay so I took a break because I was so mad at myself because I realized that the first season doesn't end with three books it ends with four books because they've got 13 and what is three times four? 12, duh. So just like got a little heated, but I'm really glad I did because I learned so much about the series. Now 
and his like prequels that he wrote and more about VFD. And I didn't realize that the show actually broke canon so much, but we'll address that as it comes up. Anyway, back to the fourth book about the mill. So the kids get kicked off of the truck for being hitchhikers and they're like, children and people are so mean in this universe so so mean so they walk to the place except for sunny she got to be held because she is a literal baby and then they're like you know it might be terrible to know whatever our parents were involved with with this mill i don't remember what tipped them off for it i guess because they saw the vfd and they're like i don't know they're like it might be worse to not know and yeah it's like the essential existential question of like does ignorance work is it better to be ignorant and will that make you be happier so they have to literally figure out how to get over a wall and they don't want to disobey the sign because it says it'll it'll be trespassers if they do it but they're like you know we're children so we can just say that we're on a school trip even though it's like lying see and it's like this is like such an interesting thing because it starts to be like the moral gray area starts to come in that even though those VFDs wanted this like fire-free, quiet world, which I guess it's not canon originally that it's Netflix canon that Ishmael started it, but that's not actually VFD. They used to like grab children by their ankles to join the society. Like I forgot how intense the induction process to this was. But anyway, they see that there's VFD in the window and then they're greeted by Charles who was like oh this is not a safe place for children and then I love this because it is like the biggest debate because he's like oh my business partner really he just says his partner so you're like are you gay or is it your business partner and it's this like I love it so much I've loved it as a kid it was like the only queer culture thing that I had and he reveals that the town burnt down in a terrible fire which is I guess was started by their parents is what they're saying even though it was like really started by Olaf because of the schism and sir Charles partner is just how I picked him but a little bit taller it's very interesting that they avoid saying gay and i'm surprised that the netflix show just didn't go for it but or just like really played that up maybe that's like the fun in it that they don't admit i mean clearly it's none of our business but anyway sir does all the work and charles irons and cooks and sir is like going to be their guardian now and he basically is like i'm gonna t i'm gonna treat you children like you're grown up i'm gonna teach you responsibility aka illegal child labor in sir's eyes and he's not going to quit smoking because he's the boss because he's always surrounded in this like cloud of smoke. And it's just, I love it. I mean, it's, you know, smoking is bad. Uh, save your baby lungs, especially if you love to sing. But anyway, it's very interesting because they definitely had Sir act to camera sometimes probably because they couldn't, you know, it gets expensive to have children on set constantly. But yeah, so that's so fun when you're like, okay, I've got to figure out how to make a believable performance to like a literal tower of apple boxes. So then Sir yells at them because they're like standing around because they're so awkward and, and like there's like no training on this job. They just kind of throw the boulder layers in there and Sir like yells at them for standing around. And so they kind of think like, oh, it, this is going to be maybe like an unsupervised life that they haven't had in, in the very first time. There'll be no rules, no curfews, which is kind of nice after having all this drama. But then just kidding, at 6 p.m. they turn the lights off and then the optimists... His name is Phil. I love Phil. He was great casting in this too. He's like, hey, you don't have to be like your parents because the Bobelaires are all worried that their parents started the fire. He's like, 
my parents were Olympic athletes and I work at a lumber mill. And he's an optimist, though, so that's why he thinks that way. And he's lost his arm, but because of that, he'll have half breast manicures for life uh, in the lumber mill because it's a super dangerous place for children. The guy who wrote this, the author, was basically like, what is the most dangerous situations I can put children in? Oh, yes, a mill, because this gives me anxiety. When they made me do power tools with being half blind, I was always nervous about power tools. I'm not going to lie, but also I was doubly nervous when I couldn't see well and I was using equipment that is dangerous with students that are all relatively new and barely not children and using it half blind was just like, it was just very tense. So this one is absolutely probably my worst favorite book because of my own personal trauma. But Olaf goes to the optometrist who he compliments her on changing her hair and she's like yeah my office is closed to you forever even during regular business hours which i love and she's pissed because olaf left her to drown and he's like water under the bridge which i also thought was very funny this whole like scene is just like really well written and she informs him that you know what she's got her own life now and her own evil scheme and the Baudelaire's meanwhile are being like okay we're gonna clear our parents names there's no way they could have done this and Violet seems oddly uninfected in this could just be it was like the end of the thing and she's like literally a real kid so it just would have been a lot but and they're sad because they're like wow like the best way to find out is if they really did it would be to just ask them but we never can and the lumber mill work music is so good and debarking a tree is so dangerous. And also the fact that Sunny can just chew things clean like a beaver and not get like splinters or have, I guess it doesn't really matter because she, she's going to lose her teeth anyway. So I don't know, it's just utterly fascinating. Uh, and they have gum for lunch. So they're going to be really skinny somehow on this because that's all they're getting. Uh, and they're paid in coupons, but they can't buy anything because they don't have any money. Welcome to capitalism, you guys. This is what it feels like to me. And they all are kind of culty. They go like, Lucky smells his life. Lucky smells his home. And it's very concerning to these children. And it kind of feels like Charles is in an abusive relationship with Sir because he feels like he can't stand up to him. And he's like, you know, Sir had a terrible childhood. And Klaus is like, I understand. I'm having one right now. And I like love that line. The writing got really good in this episode and it was, it made a book that I don't think did well at all is not one of the books that you remember and it like really punched it up. So they never see the foreman and they think that it's Count Olaf and they keep trying to look at his ankle to see the tattoo, but then Klaus gets pushed by him and then his glasses get stepped on and they are hopelessly broken. As a person who wears glasses, I felt that because... When your glasses break, it is never good. And they basically warn him and say, like, doctors are not your friends, which is very true. And such a, honestly, a good piece of medical advice is to let it know, like, sometimes you got to get a second opinion. And that doesn't necessarily mean somebody who's not a doctor. Just, it's just so hard because it's like, those opinions are expensive. And so you usually just go with the first one and then you're in hell. But they find a verified functional dictionary in the library and they find that their dad's handwriting in it and they see this like secret thing where they covered up the truth and blamed the fires and the bottle airs um, and they always hint that it's like oh Beatrice had to die because she knew too much but I don't know necessarily what she knew it doesn't seem like it was was all that bad another interesting thing I learned during my break is that Lemony and their the Baudelaire's father 
had the same volunteer training them, had the same like mentor. And ironically, her name was Theodora, and she's literally all of my worst characteristics in a character. I almost feel like the guy knew me, or maybe all Theodoras are really the same. But I mean, hers is Theodora, and I'm Theodora, but like she had like the pushy hair, thinks she's stubborn, thinks she's right, comes to the wrong conclusions, has anxiety, is a little gay. Like it was weird. It was very weird. I was like, are you watching me? It was this author. Like, I'm really concerned but anyway all charles has is the mill and sir and then they go with the phrase which is such an interesting phrase when you think about it you can catch most flies with manure well they do this like kind of twist on the flip because it's like oh you can catch more flies with honey than vinegar which means like you're you can get more people by being sweet than being like sour or nasty but then they like add to it and they're like oh but you can get the most flies with shit which is honestly so true of people at least in america i didn't love the casting of the optometrist she's just i wanted somebody a little bit less brash but i get that i think that's um nick offerman's wife so it's hard how could you not cast her but her whole eye hypnotizing thing is so it's so cool that they did like really well in production it's just so utterly fascinating olaf is also in women's clothes so i guess you have to get gay man to play him because what a straight man in women's clothes oh wait look at all these titles that we previously had men and women clothes and oops just kidding but yeah honestly i love this costume thing that olaf is in he's like a 50 secretary and he like kind of does his voice slightly high and just really commits to it um, and it's great and i feel so bad for violet because klaus is just like now hypnotized and like not even a person at all and just keeps saying yes sir and doesn't take off his shoes which is super dangerous to like being a lumber mill without any shoes i'm freaking out and poor violet is like so hard on herself and she's like i promised i'd always keep an eye on klaus and she really finds herself like she's maybe blank in the beginning which one could argue she's just like stunned from on the trauma and now she just like really breaks down and does a great fantastic job and oh this whole thing is so dangerous it just freaks me out and eventually they figure out the word that klaus was hypnotized to was inordinate because she says that she misses klaus an inordinate amount because it's not him and they kind of realize that like they can no longer stay in the mill no matter what because home is where people take care of you and so then they also reveal the heartbreaking quagmire because it is like a realization that the bowler's parents are never coming back and meanwhile mr poe is like freaking out and he's not been helpful at all obviously and he has this hysterics again that i really don't like but he lost his promotion because he lost the children and honestly kind of deserved to lose his job because he does such a terrible job but whatever and i just like i hope children find this funny because i just don't and he just like passes out that he doesn't get the number one banker pin but meanwhile mrs poe is fantastic because she like kind of cheers him up and is like hey you know what just know that you're excellent no matter what the board says but she recognizes that those children are just horribly impolite, the Baudelaire, she says, even though that's like because they are abusive to them. Always what an abuser says. It's like you call them out and they're like, that's so rude. Why are you being so rude right now? And it's like, why were you being abusive in the first place? Olive has this whole realization. He's like, oh, women can be doctors because he thinks so. Obviously, he's sexist, right? What is the most evil things you can be? That's Count Olaf. That's like literally my characterization for my cat is like, not to say that like racists are good it's just like if my cat is evil what is a thing of evil is they're racist and you know sexist and yeah it's also crazy that like 
Neil Patrick Harris can be padded as a man. And it's like skinny man, you know, no curves. And they can get padded to have this ideal female figure. And why don't I know how to do that? Why don't most women know how to like pad themselves to it? Then it wouldn't even matter. I still can't get over that children are operating heavy machinery. There's literally a baby working for them. Klaus then causes this accident of having the optimist Phil's foot separated. Poor dude, he's like, it's like a lumber mill. It's super dangerous. We then learn that the hook hand man is the foreman. And sir, at least to what he admits, doesn't know about the hypnotist. Although I don't believe that. I think they're in cahoots so that he can basically like work these people really cheap and break off all the money, which is evil corporations, man. And Count Olaf's character, Shirley, who is he's playing as a woman, he says that she wants to have children, but adoption is so tough because she works so much. And honestly, it's a really good theatrical performance. Like, maybe Olaf does have some talent. I spoke too soon. And then Olaf has lipstick on his teeth, but he says that's part of his character, which I loved. Also, I want to talk about how it's very weird that Lemony is pursuing Beatrice, even though she's, like, clearly in a committed relationship and has a husband, like, has clearly moved on. Like, it is, like, a little stalkery and weird. But Lemony was, like, abducted when he was little, so, you know... It's just, you know, what can we say? What can we do? Child, and he would find literal skeletons in his closet. Like, the man may have more going on than just, like, a weird objectifying and obsession of women. So the hook man keeps trying to hypnotize Klaus in the middle of the night once he realizes that it's, that he's broken through it with Violet because of inordinate. And there's, like, a huge quad fire. Then Charles is tied to a log, going into a saw. So much tension. Everybody's freaking out. He's also hypnotized and his word is fire because I guess sir hypnotized Charles which is super abusive and super wrong I mean like all of this is wrong this is probably honestly like the worst book of like things that are like terrible happening it feels like the triangle shirt wears factory it's just a lot but Charles wakes up and is now freaking out terribly wakes up from the hypnosis you know and is now freaking out terribly and Violet has to wake up all the workers. And Olaf is mad because Violet figures out the word. He's like just mad that they read books and knowledgeable. Such an abusive thing. All the workers get mad because they're like, what about free will? And they like chase off Shirley. And then the optometrist gets like misleveted in a fire. And it's like really, it's intense. Because she was trying to do her own evil thing. And it of course like backfired and Ended up terribly, and now she's burnt to a crisp. Welcome to VFD, you know? Shit like this just happens. So Charles leaves his partner, and Sir gets beaten up by all of the workers who are, like, mad that they've taken advantage of him for so long. The Baudelaire's against the world on their own. Um, it sucks and it's hard, but I enjoyed the first season. It's definitely, like, good television. It isn't bad. It's just, like, you know, in a perfect world and... What else am I going to talk about for almost two hours if I don't list my, in an ideal world, this is how I would see, or this is how I would do a series of unfortunate events. So I hope you guys liked it. Stay tuned for season two. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you guys care to give out any donations, all of my links are below. Even a follow helps or even just talking about sharing this podcast and letting it help your overwhelmed parent friends or just listening to entertainment about content that you like and different perspectives. And I'm always free to chat, you know, just hit my DMs. And thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate you. And I hope you have a good day. See you next week. Bye.